Ready? Sure. Fire away. <laughs> okay. So welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Kevin Hamm, and I'm joined today by Mike Miller out of House District 84, which is where in the state? I live in Helmville. 84 is mostly the rural part of Powell County and the northern part of Lewis and Clark, kind of between Highway 200 and I-15. Oh, Towns cool. Towns of Craig, Wolf Creek, Silver City. Oh, very cool. Mary's so it's, it's always fun to find out where um, these uh, districts are because I look at the map and I'm going, I have no idea. <laughs> and of course we're redistricting, so that's all going to change. Absolutely. Um, so welcome to the show. Thank and you. let's go with some basics. Uh, are you a native Montanan? Were you just raised here like I was? or No, I didn't have the good luck to be born in Montana. I was born in California. Oh, very cool. California Bay Area. Uh, got out of there as soon as I could. Joined the Navy right out of high school. Spent eight years in the Navy, uh, a couple years in school, then two years in Scotland with the Navy. Very, very cool. What did you do in the Navy? I was a missile fire control technician Which, on submarines. Okay, it seems like a very self-descriptive name, but <laughs> what exactly were you responsible for? We were responsible for the maintenance and upkeep on the, at that time it was the Poseidon missiles. Hmm. So, and Poseidons weren't nuclear, were they? Yes, they were. Oh, they were. They oh, were. Wow. So that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> uh, by the way, and we're going to have Red October, recasting Mike Miller. Um, <laughs> that was a great book. Uh, it was an okay movie, too. Um, you spent a lot of time in the military, obviously, and then you, when did you move to Montana? I moved to Montana in 1999. And, and why did you choose Montana? Did you live here before, or? I'd visited here, here before. My wife's a native of Montana. She was born in Great Falls. Ah, okay. And her uh, grandparents, great-grandparents uh, great homesteaded up on the Fairfield bench back in the 19-teens and 20s. Oh, okay. And, and so your wife is a Montana native, and you were in Scotland, and somehow she convinced you to come back here. <laughs> when I left the Navy in 1978, I moved to Seattle. I was there until 1999, uh, worked for a company called Storage Technology. They filed bankruptcy. I went to work for Boeing. They gave me the opportunity to seek employment elsewhere in the early 90s, and I went to work for Microsoft for a few years. Oh, very good. So your background's in technology, and the, you know, obviously the Navy is going to have a lot of technology mm -hmm. on a nuclear sub. Sure. Um, and then working for Microsoft and Boeing, two of the largest employers in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. um, and then now, what do you do besides be a representative? Are you retired? Are you? Now I have my own, own computer business, uh, Lakeview. Computer services. I support uh, three schools in the area: Lincoln, Helmville, and Elliston. Very cool. Lincoln being the biggest one with about 160 computers, 140 kids. Oh wow! Very cool. So you're definitely tied into technology. You have an idea of what's going on in the world around you, and uh, that's a nice segue for me into okay. you were one of the first <laughs> legislators to uh, on the Republican side to jump onto Twitter uh, in the last session. What's it like being that person that, you know, everybody else goes, oh, well, he's got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty lonely out there as a Republican on, on Twitter. <laughs> ah, I can understand that. It was pretty lonely on Twitter the first two years I was on it, many moons ago. Um, with what, How do you see technology changing our political landscape? Rapid communication with everyone. 
um, your constituents. They can sign up and follow you on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you can communicate with them. They can communicate back with you, which I think is a huge advantage over what it was, say, even 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. Was this your first term in the session? My second. Okay, so your first term in the session, how you didn't have Twitter, obviously. Or nope. did you? No, I didn't. Huh? Okay. So how did that make things better or different for you, I guess, other than the communication, which is obviously what it does, but did it make it easier for you to get through things or did it make it more confusing? Was it just adding more time? Uh, or do you wish you had had it in the first session? <laughs> Tom and Gilby was on it the first session. I was not, as you mentioned. Uh, I think it probably would have helped get the word out a little bit more. I don't really have a lot of constituents following me that I know of. Mm -hmm. A few. So how do you reach your constituents? Being in rural Montana. I mean, we do have cable out there now. but <laughs> uh, Mostly via mail. Really? So it's still pretty much the old Pony Express that connects people in. Yeah, my first, my first time going door to door, I spent eight hours, drove about 120 miles, and talked to about 15 people. <laughs> I thought, this is not going to work too well. Yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover in your district. 2,529 square miles, I think. It is. Wow. That's a ton of space. So, and how many people are in there? Because the districts are all about the same. Uh, up to just over 10,000. Mm. About 6,500 registered voters, as I recall. Wow, that's impressive. So it, mail is still very important. Technology hasn't something that people are grasping onto in the rural areas. Is this a problem that, that you're seeing across Montana, or is it you know pretty? I wouldn't call it a problem. Okay. What would you call it? <laughs> I'm kind of envious of the guys that have a have a district that's you know six blocks wide and eighteen blocks long. They can just <laughs> walk it three times in, in a weekend almost. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck with the old uh, old snail mail technology for reaching most of most people. And are you finding that they're still able to contact you that way, or are you getting them up to speed with, you know, hey, call me here, or reach me via email this way, or? I try to steer uh, traffic to my website. I have links on that to follow me on Twitter and follow me on Facebook and that kind of stuff. A few of them do. Uh, lots of phone calls. Yeah, well, that's good. Uh, the phone is still the greatest way to communicate it in the world, I think, because you actually can hear what people are, not only what they're saying, but what they're feeling. Um, Outside of face-to-face. -face. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like to talk to people face-to-face. -face. <laughs> There's no body language over, right. over the phone. Right, um, But you can tell if they're smiling. <laughs> or, or if they're uh, doing any sort of not smiling, I guess. <laughs> so it was your second term in the legislature. How would you grade the legislature last year? Chaotic. Really? Chaotic, I would say. I think uh, one issue was, well, I think we had 41 freshmen last time. In the House? In the House, yeah. Just in the House. Yeah, so almost half. I think it was 37 on 09 and 41 last time. And we're looking at probably more than that next time. If every incumbent in the House wins, it'll still be 32 new legislators. And we know that every incumbent's not going to going to win. Wow, that's impressive. But I would say that uh, you have all the new legislators and they have their pet bills and they get elected and they can turn those bills in. So those bills get drafted first. Right. And the heavy lifting doesn't really start to get to Helena. 
things like workers' comp, business equipment tax, that are going to take three, four, five weeks to hear. Right. So we start off and we hear bills about hunting with spears. Models. <laughs> as, <laughs> as an example. So the perception there was, well, the legislature just goofing off, they're not working hard. But behind the scenes, I think we were doing. No, oh, I, I think there was a ton of hard work that was going on. And, and even the bills that um, I personally would think are ridiculous bills that I don't understand why they were involved. I know there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, and as much as I disagree with them, because <laughs> I'm subtle and quiet, um, I still think that, you know, if, if their constituents wanted it and it's something that they felt needed to be brought up, then yes, it has to go through the process. And it's perfectly legitimate to take any of those bills through the process. Do I think they should pass? Obviously not. Um, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't go through the process. The process is there for a reason. The process is there to protect us from, you know, the bad bills passing, and you know, it gives everybody a chance to voice in on it. If you're not going to use the process at all, then why have it? Agreed. You know. Yeah. So, so the, I do understand both sides of the argument with that. But I think that uh, last session was chaotic in many ways, and it continued past the point where we started to get the meteor bills, the things about the taxation and and rights and whatnot that went on and and, and it was hateful <laughs> That's, we had republicans had a huge majority and they most definitely took advantage of that that's true so you tend to be one of the more i would say you're more mainstream middle of the road but um well you are more mainstream middle of the road for montana but that tends to not be on a national level mainstream middle of the road that tends to be more libertarian take care of yourself sort of mainstream middle of the road. Okay. Um, how is it that you, uh, how do you, I mean, I don't even know how to phrase this question. It's, it's one of those odd things. I saw you on Twitter and you're one of the more interesting tweeters that whether I agree with you or not, you always have a great perspective on things, but it's not the party line. And um, there was a lot of, you know, you either need to tow the party line or tow the Tea Party line last time, and you really didn't fall into those categories, and yet everybody respects you on both sides. And it was this magical balancing act, and I don't know how you did it, and I'd like to know the secret, if you know what it was. <laughs> I guess I don't know either. Uh, as far as party line, I don't really agree 100% with either party line, obviously. Right. Uh, Going to go the way my constituents want me to, I hope. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. And they're a rather diverse group, obviously. Right. So what were the bills that you really wanted to uh, get through? Or what were the big bills that you wanted to work on this last session? I would have liked to have gotten my bill through that would have combined the primary election with the school mm. elections. That's a great one. And so that one, actually, I agree with. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm pragmatic with the whole, it's an election, why would you separate it? Let's go through a little bit of the history. Why is it separate? Do we know? Has it just always been that way? You know, I'm not sure on that. I think the June primary might be in statute. And I think the school elections have to be held in May due to budgeting things and teacher contracts so they can do negotiations knowing what their budget is. Hmm. So like I said, my bill would have backed the primary up from June until May to coincide with the school elections. Ah, I guess there were some issues in there with uh, like sewer districts crossing precinct lines and that kind of stuff that ended up getting kind of technical, I guess, that the county clerks didn't really favor too much. Huh. 
Oh, so it was. See, and that's uh, now that that now that just makes me cranky. It's another pill to be angry about because the fact that a bureaucrat doesn't want to do their job that just makes me insane. Um, it would have been more work initially, but once it was set up, I think once they had had, had everything all all drawn out. Right, and there are plenty of times where county lines don't match up with a, a legislative district or oh, even with a city. Like, East Helena crosses over into three different counties. Sure. So it's not like it's that big of a deal. You vote for the county commissioner in the area that you actually live in. Yeah, not you, tough. Yeah, you might have a, have a fire district in two precincts or two fire districts in one precinct. So then you'd have to have separate ballots for half of, half the of people here that are other half there. Yeah, but that just requires a map. And a brain. <laughs> so, a little more work. Doable, I think. Yeah, a little more work up front, and we'd save a bunch of money on the backside. So that yeah, just good. doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, that would have been a great bill to pass. So hopefully that'll come up again, actually. All right, plan on submitting that one again. Did I, did it die in committee, or? Died in committee. Uh, which committee ended up with it? Uh, state admin. Uh, my favorite committee in the whole world. What else? Yeah, the chair of that committee was a county, ex-county clerk. <laughs> Who was the chair? Uh, Pat Ingraham. Huh. Interesting. So she didn't like it. He didn't like it. He, she, she, she. Yeah. 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 I had a bill in there that uh, I was trying to reduce the school dropout rate. And how was the bill going to do that? I was trying to t tie school attendance or improving yourself to, once you're over age, age 16 to having a driver's license. Oh. Okay. So. Um, what, did your bill account for emancipated minors? Account for emancipated minors. If you dropped out of school and you were in a, an apprenticeship program or something, I mean, so it, it accounted for all of those. Situations. If you were being homeschooled, I, as long as you were sitting on the corner selling drugs, <laughs> yeah, I tried to cover everything in there. But uh, so, what was the resistance that you ran into with that one? Homeschoolers, because they felt it would have given the state additional power to look into their curriculum and into their private lives and that kind of stuff. Well, since they kind of do look into the curriculum, because if you want them to go on to college, they have to know. Mm-hmm. Huh. And if you're actually teaching them the right thing, wouldn't you want them to show off their knowledge? Looking at, at the statutes, I believe you have to have, have to meet certain homeschool minimum curriculum requirements. Mm -hmm. And then the county can come in and actually inspect your home to make sure it's suitable to homeschool then, which seems to me to be a huge privacy issue. They can't come into my home now and expect my home suitable for kids particularly, but if they're in public school. Well, and this comes down to, okay, now we're going to get into an area. I can kind of understand where they're doing that. Because if you say that you're homeschooling your kids, but you're actually having them work, <laughs> you know, that would be a problem. And the the child welfare laws and the facts that we really do consider mm -hmm. that to be a bad thing. I think that that justifies it, and you do open yourself for that. If you're going to say that you're homeschooling, then we expect you to actually be doing that. Um, and the, um, the this is the same thing with like corporate welfare and the, and corporations and Citizens United. If they didn't do those things, we wouldn't have these laws against them. But you know, and so yes, yeah, some bad apples ruin it for everybody. That's the way it works. So I can kind of see that, but. I also look at this and I go, well, if they want to have homeschooling, yeah, there still has to be some sort of regulation on it because right. we don't want kids to be, you know, let out as adults and then they have no foundation whatsoever to survive. And I fully support homeschooling. 
I made every effort in that bill to make sure it wasn't going to be more burden on them, but apparently it, they didn't see it that way. Huh, that's interesting. So we have a lot of infighting that happens in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, um, you know, we try to improve things and, and government does its neat trick of the, it's a ratchet, it only makes, you know, it moves in one direction and it never ever moves out. Um, how are we going to fix some of those? Because one of the topics, and we were discussing this before we started recording, but uh, that I feel we have ratcheted far too far on is uh, term limits. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 the absolutely delightful mess that we've created with them. Uh, for people at home, if you've listened to the other shows, you've heard me yap on about it quite a bit. But basically, the premise is that we had the term limits. In, we put them in place because we had so many politicians that had so much power and had been in the legislature for so long that they literally were able to divert federal funds and change the route of uh, the freeways. And then when we finally decided that we'd had enough of that particular line of crud, uh, we put in term limits. And then we had a whole big fight with term limits and whether they were constitutional or not, that went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said yes. They are for everything, for your own elections. You know, it's a state's rights issue, mm-hmm. um, which is great. You know, Some states have them, some states don't. But I think we have trimmed ours back down to the point of uh, destructive. You know, yes, it cleared out the legislature and it gave us new blood in there, which is what we really wanted to do. What there was, it, what it didn't do though, was actually help us because now we have no institutional knowledge that continues for a, a length of time that makes enough sense to actually give us an over, overarching uh, storyline to these bills as we're trying to make things better. So we just have a bunch of knee-jerk reactions that go on. At least that's my perspective. What's yours? I would agree with quite a bit of that. I would say the institutional knowledge now lies primarily in legislative staff and the lobbyists. It's the lobbyists who are testifying before committees saying, we heard a bill very similar to this back in 1992 or 93. So we've traded our power. Oh, God. (laughs) That's frightening. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) It's frightening that our power has been... You know, currently you can do eight years in any 16-year period in either either body. Right. My suggestion to people, you know, voted for term limits twice, roughly two to one in favor of both times. My suggestion would be to allow the person to do his 16 years total however he wants. All Senate, all House, 12 and 4, however and, you want. And then require, what, two years off? Or a session off? Or then you're or done. Done forever? Then you're done or whatever. I could... I could go with that. Hmm. That might work. You know, right now, you, for leadership, especially in the House, typically it's a fourth-termer. He spends the first 45 days of the session learning what his job actually is. He does the job for another 45 days. Last half of the session, he's gone. Yeah. We don't have any speakers who have been there two and three and four sessions now to be able to have a lot of experience in leadership. <laughs> As President Peterson said in the Senate last time, he said, they gave me the keys to the door and I opened it up and there was no instruction manual inside the room. <sighs> Lovely. Yeah, so we've, you know, we overreacted and we, we came up with term limits that seemed reasonable at the time but really aren't. And we haven't found a way to fix them. How do we fix them? We've had bills the last two sessions that I've been there that have tried to put it back to the voters, I believe, in 09, 
and I'm pretty sure we had a, we've had a bill that would do what I suggested, doing the 16 years how, however you want. Okay, but you can only serve 16 years. I'm not sure if that was part of the bill or not. You'd have to take right. You'd have to go back and look. But that'd be interesting. So, well, hopefully that'll come up again. I'm pr I'm pretty sure it will. Or you could even change them to 12 and 12 if you I mean if you wanted. But so, how did you end up in politics? <laughs> Fell off a curb, bumped your head, and decided <laughs> I'll be in politics. <laughs> I kind of got tired of whining about things, and someone said, finally asked me, why don't you do something about it? Really? So, what were you whining about? I don't even remember now. <laughs> Just the general direction, the whole whole country and the world and the state was taking, basically. Huh. And so you ran, it was the, blah, 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 excuse me, as I learned how to use my lips, uh, the session, that your first session, was that your first campaign as well? Yes. And so you were successful in your first campaign. Did you have a primary challenger? I challenged a two-term incumbent. In, oh, really? Who in was that? that? Uh, John Ward. Huh? Very cool. So you beat him in the, the primary and then... I don't know if your district leans right or left, but it, it leans right. Oh, okay. So, and how was it running a campaign in Montana? Was it, you know, nerve-wracking and a bunch of stuff that you had to do, or was it just simply workmanship? It was very eye-opening. I, fi I filed like the second to the last day of the filing session, and there was a campaign school coming up, roughly in the middle of April, which is about three weeks out, and I thought. Rather than really messing things up royally, going off on my own here, I'll go ahead and wait for the campaign school. So middle of April rolls around, and one thing they point out in campaign school is the absentee ballots go out in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh! Yeah. Huge panic. <laughs> Flyers design. Get the signs printed. Get them out. Start doing some mailings. Get out and meet people. And and how was it working with the, the, the county Republicans, because you've got... Lewis and Clark County and the other counties to deal with. Were they helpful at that point or because you had a primary were they very sort of hands off and letting you deal with it yourself? Uh, the county central committees don't take sides in a, in a primary. Right. So I didn't get much help at all from either, either county. So, so you starting a campaign, you dive out on your limbs. Ah, happiness to joy. Um, what was it like once you made it through the, the election night with the, the um, the primary. You, you got to the primary. Was it close? Was it, you know? I really never expected to win. Really? Uh, I mean, you know, me and nobody, no name anywhere, going up against a two-term incumbent. Guy's a far better speaker than I ever thought, thought to be. I won by 24 votes. Wow. Out of how many? Uh, roughly 1,250. That's impressive. So it was quite close. <laughs> Very much so. And then you realize that, oh, then it's it, not done. <laughs> then it was, oh, my God, I won. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> so then were the committees helpful at that point? I mean, they, yes, they, they were. Okay, so they, then they stepped up and gave you a little bit of mm -hmm. help, tried to get out there and do it. And, and what was that like? Uh, they give you advice how to run a campaign and basic campaign plans, a little bit of a financial support. And, and it worked well, obviously. You got elected, so... What was election night like? Exciting. Really? So <laughs> you come up on election day, you know that absentee ballots are pretty much in. And in Montana, for those of you who don't know, we do vote by mail in a lot of cases. And do you? 
vote by mail or do I you vote in person? Oh, so you go down to the ballot box. See, I vote by mail, and mostly because I cannot stand to wait in those lines anymore. See, small town, small town Montana, uh, voting is kind of a social event. Ah. I mean, the kids will hold a pie and coffee fundraiser for some school project, or the community will do a spaghetti dinner. Well, that's cool. Yeah. See, and I grew up in I grew up in Helena, and it was never like that because the districts were always the the voting places were always the schools, gymnasium. So it was right. like at Capitol High and Helena High, and it's like. And what was funny is that half the time our voting area was at the other school. Like I went to Capitol, but our voting okay. area would be over at Helena High. It's like, why okay. are we over here? But I go to school. Uh. And so you never knew where it was, and it was always a big mess, and there's always people there, and it's always. It was crowded and annoying, and it was like, ah, oh, there's got to be a better way. And then when they came out, when I moved back and they had vote by mail, I was like, oh, it's the future. <laughs> I got 17 precincts. Five of them are under 100 people population. Oh, wow. Five, five of them are over 250. That's impressive. So My four big ones are here on Lewis and Clark in the Helena area. Right. Well, you're probably going to have a two-hour wait to vote or something, but... Right. So I guess that makes a difference. So you get to the day, you're having some sort of social event, and you're down. Which precinct did you go to? Or were you at a precinct? Because I guess you can't. I was home. You were home. <laughs> Just watching the news, seeing as it comes up. Went down to the local tavern for a couple hours, and she put it up on TV, and still wasn't much going on by 11, 11 o'clock or midnight. So Went home, figured you'd find out in the morning. Went ahead and went home. Well, Sat up to about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when the final results were coming in. And and then you found out? Yeah. And? And what did you do? Okay, good. I'm going to bed. <laughs> I was tired, yes. <laughs> I can imagine. So you get to the end of the campaign. Then you've won. You've got your first session coming up. Everything seems to be going well. And that session, by all accounts, was a pretty good session. Yeah? It was a 50-50 uh, split in, in the house. So everybody kind of had to work together. If you wanted to get something passed, you had to work together. Uh, they couldn't pass anything that we thought was radical. We couldn't pass anything they thought was radical. And Pretty good balance. Yeah, and so you were actually able to pass some really decent bills. Uh, that was a year that, let's see, the one bill I know of is the notary uh, book bill that was passed that year. Okay, yeah. Which I think is a great bill. Um, not just because my mother has a lot to do with it, although that <laughs> certainly informs part of my view on it. But uh, she did lobby me on that one. Yes, uh, <laughs> and she'll if they try to mess with it again, I'm sure she'll be back. Um, one of the things that that bill does is it establishes that notaries in the state have to keep a log of when they've notarized for something. It doesn't have to. It's not a lot of information that they keep. It's basically the name of the person and what type of notary they were doing, um, and the date it happened. And the reason for that, the reason that has become really important lately was actually the housing market collapse with the robo-signing of um, uh, mortgage foreclosures. That's the word I was looking for. Um, in Montana, there's been a ton of people that had had their mortgage supposedly um, pulled into uh, foreclosure, but because the notary was supposedly was a Montana notary and they didn't keep a log. It's not legally notarized, therefore the judge was able to throw them out. So several people have kept their houses because of that law. So it, I, in my mind, I think that's a good law. Call me crazy. So then you get to your second session, things kind of blow up. And we did have a bit of the uh, craziness. And then now what? You're running for office again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And how's it going? How's your campaigning? I really haven't done a whole lot yet. I'm not having a, having a primary no, this No time. primary? Ah, very cool. Um, who, who's running against you on the Democrat? Uh, or do they have a primary? He does not have a primary either. Everett Sheets. He's a prison guard from Deer Lodge. Mm. Very interesting. So um, I know you're in town for the... Uh, and a libertarian. And a libertarian. Oh, you've got one of those. The last two times, uh, Ron Van Devender from uh, Craig area ran against me as a libertarian. And he's now running for a libertarian governor. Right. So he came down last session, in the middle of the session, introduced his son to me. He said, Mike, I'm going to run for governor next time. My son's going to run against you. Uh, okay. <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> um, I actually I actually met him at the, uh, the the governor's candidate debate up in Great Falls, okay. by the Farmers Union, okay. and um, very interesting. He has his his own view. There were a couple people that have their own view. <laughs> that was very fun. So, what's your least favorite thing about politics? Raising money. <laughs> I hate to ask for money. <laughs> but you have to do it. Yeah, it's something you have to do. Yeah. And why is it your least favorite thing? Just you hate asking, and that's it. Or pretty much, I'm kind of a do-it-yourself type guy, and uh, unfortunately, I can't afford to finance my whole campaign. <laughs> right. What's your favorite part about politics? Uh, sitting in committee, listening to testimony on bills, and trying to make a rational decision if I should vote for or against this bill. Okay. I guess, you know, that makes you a good politician if you're going to sit there and listen, and that's your favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of um, interesting bills that have come up. You want to talk about some of my, my favorite topics? Let's go. Okay, so House Bill 516, okay. which was, for those of you who have missed every episode that I've done, um, House Bill 516 was the uh, Chris Hansen's bill to remove the ability for cities to have a non-discrimination ordinance that expands what the state has for non-discrimination. Um, basically, it takes away local power, which is kind of funny because this is coming from somebody who campaigned on a promise of local power, local power, local power. So you happen to vote against it. House Bill 516 came to the floor. I know this because I looked at my... I have a blog post, actually, that I can't say on this podcast because I'm trying to keep the clean tag <laughs> and not be explicit, but... When it came up on the floor for a vote, you voted against it. You were one of the few Republican voices to vote against it. You were one of five, I believe. Pull that vote up real quick. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry, guys, I'm looking it up right now on my iPad. Six, go. I'm sure you're right, but. It died standing in committee. Well, it was one of those fun bills that it went out to the floor and then was handed back to committee and then it went out to the floor. And Third reading passed. Died in standing committee. How do I pull that link up there? There we go. Yes on that. <gasps> okay, so why did you vote yes on that one? You voted yes? And I'm having you on my show? <laughs> <laughs> so why did you vote yes on that one? I had a long talk with Chris Hansen about that. 
And basically, the, the correct way to implement that bill would have been to change the protected classes in state statute. Okay, so you're rather, saying that the, the rather, county can't have a protected class that's beyond what the state has, or the city can't. So you're not allowing the local governments to experiment and see if it works to make sure if it's right before we pass it statewide and have a problem with that ratcheting syndrome that I've seen before. Yeah, I felt it should have been at the state level to where you didn't have every city have their own different little, little version of protected classes. Well, if we don't start with the cities, how are we ever going to make the change? At the state level. We, well, that's not, that's not doable. There are far too many bigots in the state. And I don't think you're one of them. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you're dealing with a situation, and, and literally this was about the gay and lesbians, and that's what it is. It's, yeah. a, it's a non-discrimination ordinance against gays and lesbians. Let me, let me note that I also voted for Edie, Edie McLafferty's bill, her blast motion to blast HB 514 out. That, that would have added that two percent Correct. Okay, so that makes sense. So you were trying to do the right thing because you felt that this bill was, you know, this was creating conflict in the state that you wanted to avoid. That I can understand. But you do think that the class is, gen is uh, legitimately needing a protection. Unfortunately, yes. It shouldn't be that way. <laughs> I mean. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome to politics in the 2000s. Um, yeah, and okay, so I can agree with that. I, then that makes sense to me. So that's probably why you weren't on my list of bigots. <laughs> like, it, what bothers me in a lot of cases is that it was literally about whether they thought that these people needed help or needed to be protected and being part of that class. In every other way, I'm, I'm perfectly privileged in our society. I'm a white male. There is not much I can't get away with. That's the, just the sad fact of the way it is. But in this one instance, and I love having this argument with my dad, this one instance, I do need protection because there are so many people who have, for whatever reason, a bug up their bum about what the gays are up to, which I'm pretty sure, because I've been around most of them, it involves a lot of decorating and some glitter. So I don't know why this is a problem. <laughs> so, okay, I do understand that. So that's interesting that we run into a lot of these problems where you're, fo you're forced to because you have a binary vote, yes or no. Yeah, there's, um, there's no maybe. Right. There's no, well, it would be better if we could do it this way. That's what amendments are for, and they had failed. Uh, because of that, you're left with this sort of, I'm trying to do it this other way. How do you communicate that out to people? Obviously, it, it, somehow I heard it because you weren't on my list of bigots. I did check that before I came. I have my list. Um, but how do you reconcile getting that that out to the people that are in your, especially you're dealing with mail, how do you get that out to your constituents? Or do you just hope they look it up on your Facebook page? Uh, you have quite a bit of communication from constituents coming in, not just constituents, but around the state coming in with the contact slips. Mm -hmm. I don't recall specifically how many I got on that one there. What's a contact slip? The little blues and yellow slips we get in the legislature. Huh, don't know anything about them. I never worked in the legislature as a kid. I was never paid, so I don't know anything about this. A person can call in and they can leave a message for all committee members, mm -hmm. or they can call in and leave a message for, I guess, up to five legislators at a time. And there's also an internet forum on the state legislative site that you can fill out and do the same thing. If it comes in via phone, it's yellow. If it comes in via the internet, 
It's blue. And and it tells you the message or is the message? Yes, yeah, no. vote vote yes on this. Vote no on this. Oh That's, wow! Give me a call. Send me an email. <laughs> if what do you think? The only thing that would make it more archaic is if they were delivered by owls. <laughs> <laughs> My first session, I probably had somewhere around sixteen hundred of those and around two thousand emails. Wow. Last session, I had over 2,000 emails on medical marijuana issues alone. Uh, I haven't even discussed medical marijuana in any of our shows, oh. um, which, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. So, so it's not as easy as, yes, I think House Bill 516 is a problem because I don't see the conflict as an issue. I think the conflict will help us resolve some other problems that are going on with how we deal with people. Um, but that's my take on it. Um, you voted for it, or you know, voted for the measure because you believe that the conflict is wrong. That's a legitimate reason for voting for that measure. I can, you can certainly deal with that, especially because you did try to blast the other one out. So, how do you, as a Republican, deal with uh, what's a nice way to call those people? The crazies, because um, there's crazies on both sides. But how do you deal with the crazies inside your party that really don't have any patience whatsoever for the quote-unquote homosexual agenda? which I'd like to see that agenda because maybe I'd know what I was doing wrong. <laughs> no, I'm supposed to be wearing purple. Wrong. Okay. There's not a lot of communication going back and forth on that. People are very set in their ways, but they're very set in their minds. And, and you're and not having to deal with them yelling at you about it? or Hmm, interesting. No. Uh -uh. Well, that's cool. I guess that's great, actually. So what other bills? The, let's do medical marijuana. I, that was a huge issue this last term, and I haven't really talked about it at all because I don't care. I mean, I do care to an extent. My take on it is uh, basically that it should never have been a Schedule One drug. I agree with that. Um, I don't know. Ooh, actually, I do remember a tweet from you, which was, um, I don't, you don't remember how the federal government even decided it had the ability to regulate it. Is that correct? Well, it took a, an amendment to the Constitution to prohibit alcohol. Uh huh. So another one to unprohibit it. Yes. And yet, three o'clock on a Friday afternoon in 1937 or 38, Congress says you can't do use this drug or herb or whatever you want to call it. Interesting. Where's the constitutional authority for that? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I would like to know too. It, you know, they can. I know the interstate commerce clause has been stretched, uh, although it might be rubber banding back to a smaller clause here shortly with some of what's going on in front of the Supreme Court. But uh, that is interesting because it, you kind of, you know, we're all, especially you know, people my age and younger, we're all of the age that it's always been regulated our entire life. You know, all these drugs have been regulated, so. Finding out at one point, you know, doing a little historical research, the reason that hemp got put in with this, all forms of hemp, which include marijuana, mm -hmm. um, got put in this was because of the Cotton Growers Association kind of pisses me off. <laughs> I'm like, they were trying to protect their profit base. They weren't trying to do what was right for the country at all. And they managed to get hemp entirely put in, which is why hemp rope is imported into the United States from Canada, because they're able to grow hemp literally across our border. And it's not... Marijuana, there's no THC in those plants, but it's the same family, so mm -hmm. it's still banned. Well, George Washington grew hemp. Exactly. Of course, you know, they had slaves too, so there wasn't <laughs> not always the best thing to look at them and go, well, they did it right. But, you know, 
so we evolve a little bit, but it, it is interesting. What were you getting from people in Montana about this? There were websites set up out there that people could sign on to and uh, send an email to every legislature, legislator. And those were going all with the same message. Yeah, and it was thousands of them. It was about equal on both sides of it. Don't repeal it, yes, repeal it. Don't repeal it, yes, repeal it. And how did you end up voting? I was one of six Republicans that voted to not repeal. Okay, and why did you? I did not want the legislature to overturn a citizen's initiative. I thought the correct way was to put it back to the people to vote on a second time, which we're doing, it looks like. And what's the, what do you see as the big problem with our medical marijuana law? Aside from the fact that, of course, we're having to deal with the feds coming in and swooping it out. Yeah. But. I think the legislator, legislature dropped the ball for at least three sessions, that they had, to, they had the ability to put some controls in place. They didn't want to deal with it, or in a 50-50 house, couldn't. Half voted for one, half voted for the other, so we, nothing, nothing got accomplished. Nothing was done. Then the infamous Ogden memo came out saying that the, the feds were not going to prosecute, basically, was the understanding on that. Which, that and, has been a lie. And from there, it ballooned, skyrocketed. I think a lot of it was the people that wanted to use it recreationally basically messed it up for those that had some legitimate need for it. So what is your take upon you know people using it rec recreationally? Do you think it should be taxed and sold like alcohol? I could probably support that. Really? See, you're far more libertarian than I think you realize. <laughs> See, I can support that too because I look at it and I go, I look at my friends that are potheads and I adore them. And I know full well that they are, never ever do they cause a problem because they're too stoned. <laughs> you know, when they're high, they are just the most calm people in the world. You want to hang out with them because they're not going to do anything and you can do whatever you want. It's great. There's some, there's some major, other major issues in there like the uh, driving under the influence laws. Well, yeah, but you can smoke it on Monday. You're going to test positive on Thursday, but you're not under the influence, actually. Right. Society's not quite ready to deal with that, I don't think. No, but that requires society to grow up. You know, but uh, on things that the society should grow up on, airport security. You know, <laughs> there's tons of it. There's tons of it that goes on that we just don't spend any time, you know, we have these knee-jerk reactions, and we're doing it all over the place. We do it at the national level, we're doing it at the state level, and it's getting worse. It's, it's bizarre to me that we're acting this way. Because I don't remember people being this way when I was a kid, but maybe it's because I wasn't paying attention, but I don't understand. I don't understand why everything has to be a huge drama. It can be, yes, we're going to make this change, and no, it's not comfortable for everybody, but we're doing the right thing. And, and that causes such a huge argument. By the way, nodding doesn't help. They can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it would have to have to have some very tight regulations on it if it was ever to be so-called legalized and taxed and controlled and that kind of stuff, I think. But so what about the rest of the war on drugs? There was an interesting study that came out recently of Portugal. Portugal, uh, it was 12 years ago now, um, rebuked the idea of a war on drugs. They decided that they were going to be done right. with the war on drugs. What they instead did was they removed every bit of criminalization from their drug laws. 
they diverted all of the money that had been used for incarceration and trials and put it into programs to help people get over their addiction. Um, if somebody's caught with drugs, they're, they're never confined. They're just asked to go get help. They're, they're given the resources to find help and to get the things that they need to get their, on their feet. Uh, and in the 10 years since that's happened, their crime rate has dropped by nearly 60%. Their uh, drug-specific crime rate is almost non-existent anymore because you can get the drugs that you really specifically need. If, you're, you, know, if you need to get high, by all means, you can do it because they're available. <laughs> but you don't get in trouble for it. And while they're available, they're not imported in the volumes that they were before. They don't have the meth problem that they had in the major cities. They don't have the trade in illicit drugs, uh, illicit use of prescription drugs that they had. Uh, far less people are incarcerated, of course, because there's no re there's no way to incarcerate them. It's not part of the law anymore. And um, their GDP has gone up. You know, and this is Portugal. You know, their okay. entire country is basically a beach. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, they turned around and they, they said, no, this isn't working. What's your take on that? You know, is, is that a better direction for us to go? And how would we do it? Or, or should we even try? Well, the war on drugs is an abject failure, I think. Absolutely. It raises the prices, raises the price up because it's profitable, mm -hmm. because it is illegal. And there's danger involved in it. You know, if you're a distributor, you could go to jail, so I better be paid for that. Or get shot or whatever. Contingency, yeah. yeah. Uh, we incarcerate, I believe, the highest percentage of any first world country. Yep. At great cost. That's insane. Both to both the actual cost of the incarceration and the social costs. Such as? Welfare benefits, uh, food stamps for the... Families that are left behind and have no right. income. Plus, when we get, when these people get out of jail, they've not been given any sort of treatment, and they're given whatever treatment they get in jail. But yeah. it's generally forced treatment. They they don't go through it. The recidivism rate is high. They mm -hmm. they don't become productive members of society. They fall back into the drug trade very easily. And then you know we've got the cycle of doom. And then we have our new our new favorite thing in California and other states. California, Texas, probably half the other states is the three strikes and you're out. You know, Which so. is incredibly expensive. Right. It, it, so we've done all these things in the name of, well, we need to protect the children, but all we've done is we've taken them from the time, well, they're no longer children. They're 18 at that point, so we can incarcerate them forever. They're obviously never going to contribute to society because we, as society, haven't made an investment in them to make it worthwhile. Once they do get out, they're felons. They can't find a job. They can't vote. They can't own a gun. I mean, water citizenship rights are stripped. It, at best, they're going to find minimum wage jobs or close to minimum wage jobs. And, and yet, this is to make things better for people. So That's why I say it's a failure. So how would we fix it? Follow Portuguese, Portugal's uh, example? or mm, I don't know if I'd go that far or not. But, but we have to do something, hopefully. So, something should be done. Good. Well, I'm not sure I have the answer to that. But. <laughs> well, Good news is you're a state legislator. Hopefully we don't have to have that. So what else happened with the, the medical marijuana blew up and then we had, and I know you're on the opposite side from the governor, we had our uh, the branding day, which was a delightful afternoon of um, <laughs> completely destroying all the hard work that the legislature had managed to pass. I guess that's a charitable way of, of saying what happened that day if you were on the other side. Um, what was that like for you? Rather amusing. 
Really? Almost, almost childish, trying to get attention, uh, which obviously worked. He made national news. Right. I mean, I would never think of doing something similar to that personally, but. Yeah, you're, well, you're much more reserved than Schweitzer. <laughs> but you know what? Most people are. <laughs> so, you know, there is a bit of it that was, there's quite a bit of it that was the showmanship that went into it. But what about the bills? Were there bills that went up there that were being branded that you thought shouldn't have been? Or I thought we passed some good legislation that uh, the governor vetoed. Uh, were they specific to the branding or were they just other ones that vetoed? You know, I don't know which ones he branded, so. Uh. I never bothered to look at the <laughs> actual, actual list on that. So you're running for office again. What do you hope to do in this next legislative session? What are you, the big bills that you want to get passed are? Transparency. I want to get the uh, state uh, checkbook, for lack of a better term, online. Hmm. The governor in, I think it's February or March 2010, Revenues were dropping. It looked like we might have a special session coming up. Uh, called on the citizens of Montana to submit suggestions to help cut the budget or reduce spending. Would have been much easier if you could have logged on to the <laughs> and see where we're spending and see our where money. the money was getting getting spent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we had bills in two thousand nine and eleven to do that. What are the roadblocks that you're running into with that? Fifty uh, fifty house in two thousand nine. Because people thought it was too radical to put up what we're spending our money on? There's a thing called death by fiscal note, where you have a bill that comes in and they really inflate the costs on it, or what appears to be an, an inflation of the costs on it. You know, some states have done it for a couple hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand. Montana's fiscal note was between two and three million to do it. Hmm. Way, way over the top, I thought. Two and three million dollars to put up what we're writing our checks to. Because QuickBooks has been able to do this for years. So, And we balance that budget on a regular basis to make sure that we know that the money has come in and gone out correctly. Right. So putting that up doesn't seem like a tough thing to do. Because it's not like you're giving them access to actually write a check. You're just putting information about where it's supposed to be going. Yeah, Kansas has a pretty good, good website on it that I've explored through. Hmm. And you can actually get down and you can see what employee put how much gas in the state car, how much they spent for the hotel the previous night. Was it they got state rate? Yeah. Okay. See, and that sort of stuff makes sense to me. I don't understand why that would be a problem. So death by fiscal note seems like it was a, an excuse to hide stuff. We had that last session also, I believe, Tom Burnett carried that one, I think. Uh, I think it passed, but they didn't appropriate it, any money for it. Hmm. Another way of killing a bill. Fun. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to see that one come through again this time. I'm, I'm going to try my uh, primary school election accommodation bill again this, this time. See what we can do there. Have a couple of constituent bills. Such as? Uh, one of them is dealing with, I think they're called Argosies, uh, six or eight wheel design for off-road vehicle mm -hmm. that you can't license in the state of Montana to be on-road. You, you can license a ATV four-wheeler to be on the road. 
I haven't done a lot of investigation, talked to the guy that much yet about that one. Another one was a gentleman was up in town somewhere, and there was a running pickup, a running vehicle, with like a five or six year old in it. Not in a car seat or anything, just... Bouncing around? Bouncing around, and the parents were 50 or 100, 100 yards away. Ah. And so a running vehicle, uh, making sure that people, children are either restrained or no. not in the vehicle. Yeah, I, the difference in that than versus going into 7-Eleven to grab your cup of coffee or something, I think. <coughs> okay. Oh. So how does it line up with... Okay, I, I, I'm just not ever hearing about this before. <coughs> You're fine. Um, how does that not just fall under child endangerment? It it may. Okay. That's another one I really haven't investigated what the current laws and that kind of stuff are. I think okay. the gentleman is, I corresponded with uh, said he talked to the police about it, and the police said that there was no law against that at that time. Hmm. So the police were idiots because common sense would say go turn off the car. <coughs> yeah. Don't worry about the cops. <laughs> the mic drowns it out for the most part. Um, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> just, it never occurs to me that we need another law for a specific situation like that because it's like, oh, it's either child endangerment or just go turn off the car. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a law or, or a bill I would carry normally. But No, but if somebody's asking you to, sure. you know, that's why we have the process. Like we were yep. saying earlier, let's put it through the process and Absolutely. let people see about it because maybe it's far more <coughs> widespread than we thought. Um, so that's interesting. There's a lot that's going on with uh, what you have coming up. Let's give people ways to contact you. You do have your Twitter. I do. It's Mike Miller HD84. And you have your Facebook page. Mike Miller on that one. Okay. And you have your own website. Yep. Which uh, is MikeMillerHD84.com. Okay. And we'll put links to all of those. We'll, I'll try to drum up the other links that we talked about in the show. And you do have a donation page on your website or I do. something like that. Okay. We'll put a link to that as well. Um, <coughs> there's a ton of stuff on both sides of the aisle that I think drives me crazy. So I'm really thankful that you came on the show. I know it's not your favorite thing in the world to come <laughs> out and talk. And uh, there's everybody feels like they can be put on the spot for things that are going on. Is there any other subject that you wanted to go over? <coughs> Excuse me. No, no, not really. No, as you're getting <laughs> an allergic reaction to the library. <laughs> okay, so thank you for joining me. And uh, everybody, again, it was Mike Miller with us today. And uh, that's pretty much it. Have a good one. Thanks for having me.